0: Hi, I'm Rod Murray, host of State of the Game, and you're listening to Feed the Ball with Derek Duncan on the and Golf Network. Visit www.talkinggolf.com for more quality golf podcasts.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Feed the Ball podcast. This is episode 51. I'm Derek Duncan, and my guest is Bruce Charlton. Anticipating my first visit to Chambers Bay, one of the Pacific Northwest's most notable modern courses, and site of the 2015 U.S. Open, won by Jordan Spieth, I expected to like it. And why not? Contoured fescue fairways that shuttle the ball in all directions, slopes and embankments to use to scoot your ball toward targets, width, oceanic greens, sand underfoot and in the surrounding grass covered dunes invoking feelings of Western Ireland, views everywhere of Puget Sound. Sign me up. But what I didn't understand was how generic of a description of Chambers Bay that would be. I'm loath to repeat the age-old golf adage, you have to see it to understand it. But in this case, you really do. The golf course was not just good, it was surprising. Built on the old Stila sand and gravel mine near Tacoma, Chambers Bay had the potential to be anything. It's a nearly completely manufactured golf course built purely from industry and imagination, but it also possesses what so many other courses often miss. Ambition, a demonstrable point of view, and a willingness to take advantage of a rare opportunity to create something original and profound. Most importantly, the design doesn't allow aesthetics to overshadow or outweigh the stimulating, thought-provoking golf underneath. One of the men primarily responsible for the creation of Chambers Bay is Bruce Charlton, President and Chief Design Officer for Robert Trent Jones II, the firm that built the course. Parenthetically, another force driving the design was Jay Blasi, who joined me for episode 42 of this podcast. And for that matter, you can also listen to Robert Trent Jones II himself, or Bobby, who was on episode 10. Look for those episodes under the podcast tab at FeedTheBall.com. Charlton joined RTJ2 in 1981 and has been by Jones's side for most of the company's major work since that time. I'm not sure any design firm has cast their line as far or in as many different fishing holes as Jones II's consistently has. Charlton and Jones have designed courses in over 35 countries, including places like Tunisia and Russia, as well as outposts like Vanuatu. But Chambers Bay is undoubtedly their hallmark expression, and it marks something of a turning point in their architectural trajectory. Charlton and I talked about that, and also got very detailed about Chambers Bay and how the course was crafted, and ended with a little about the legacy of golf architecture from the 70s and the 80s into today. So let's get into it now. I bring you Bruce Charlton. Looking at your the schedule of your firm, it seems like you're all over the world now. Where are are you today?
0: I'm actually I'm actually here in California. We just had the you know the uh, the open at Pebble Beach, uh, just down the road, uh, in our backyard, so to speak. So, um, yeah, were, you, were you able to get down there and spend some time on the golf course? Oh yeah, yeah, and the golf course was spectacular. I mean, the setup, uh, the conditioning was uh, was really really good. I mean, and I think the scores showed it. You know, I think that the uh, the players were able. to. To um, you know, to get get uh, get Pebble Beach and score some, you know, and shoot some good scores, rewarded good rewarded good shots. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I it's interesting. There's always going to be a little bit of discussion when scores at a U.S. Open are as low as that. And yesterday morning when the leaders went off those last seven or eight groups, it looked like it was going to be kind of like another, just a regular PGA Tour event. They were just going to keep going lower and lower and lower. And then eventually, you know, Pebble Beach kind of showed up and the nerves of the U.S. Open seemed to have kicked in at last. And everybody started to retreat a little bit on the scoreboard.
0: Yeah, it was it was good theater, man. I mean, I loved it. when the, the, it's, it, it proved why the guys in the last couple of groups were in the last couple of groups. They came out firing. And, uh, it was a, it was a lot of fun to watch, you know, and you pebbles that way, you got to get it early, you know, um, those holes, those early holes are, are where you can really make up some ground and then hang on for dear life as you come in.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I thought the golf course showed an exceptionally well this week. I think some of the, sometimes the criticism for those who like to criticize, of course, like Pebble Beach, is it's you know the course set up, the maintenance. There's a, so much grass, there's so much rough. You know, you can talk about the mowing lines, and it's a, it gets a little monochromatic. And but I think the overcast weather for having four days with not not a lot of sun kind of just brought out all the the richness and the textures and the colors. And it, I don't think Pebble Beach on TV, at least from a viewing standpoint, has ever looked that good.
0: Well, you know that's interesting. I hadn't thought about the overcast nature, but you're right. Um, um, the overcast nature of everything made the green stand out more. The, all, all the green grass, and not the bright blue ocean, and all that good. And the rocks. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the golf course was just. Um, you know, I've I've lived and been here now 30, 39 years or so, and and um, I had never seen Pebble better. I agree with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about this. You know, we look at, a course, like Pebble Beach, and it's really one of the national treasures. It's one of the things that kind of sets American golf apart, and has for decades and decades. And it's obviously a great championship tournament venue. And and we're going to get into talking about Chambers Bay, which is really what I I wanted to talk about. And I know I assume you talk a lot about that, and probably don't get tired of talking about Chambers Bay either. But I'm wondering, okay. I'd le- I'd love to get your opinion. All these golf courses that are hosting USGA events and PGA championships and and so forth. They're really older historic clubs and you know they've obviously are worth it. They they have great histories. They've produced great tournaments, great champions. They're they're just kind of woven into the fabric of American golf. But it's very rare for a modern golf course to penetrate that that bubble of what we consider true championship golf courses. Now courses since the nineteen eighties that we've seen a few host the PGA championship, obviously Aaron Hills and Chambers Bay. What do you think it will take for a course that's built, say after nineteen eighty to be come, you know, part of the what we would consider a a in the championship rotation?
0: Well, I think there's a there's a number of factors that that go into the selection of a venue like that. And um I know in speaking directly from my experience at Chambers Bay that it was kind of a perfect alignment of a, of a number of, of things that the USGA saw as real benefit. Uh, number one, they saw that the fact that they had never been able to have a U.S. Open in the Pacific Northwest, and the, which is a great golf market, also uh, that being a West Coast venue um, I know that the TV folks love the West Coast venues because um, you know when the leaders are teeing off, it's starting primetime back on the East Coast, and um, that's uh, that's excellent TV. That's excellent commercial revenue. It's I mean it's uh, it's a it's a money maker. So the TV people like that, um, and that does not go unnoticed by the USGA. Uh, so the West Coast venue um, was important uh secondly was kind of the story of the of a you know of a modern course taking a degraded site and making it into a championship facility the usga liked that story they liked what that meant in terms of showing golf course as a solution to to a to a degraded land use and then lastly they really liked the idea of chambers bay being a firm and fast and very drought tolerant, uh, you know, type of course. And when they had just showcased Pinehurst the year before as being very, you know, uh, minimal irrigation and, uh, you know, brown is the new green and some of the statements that the USGA was making. So I think all those things came together in the case of Chambers Bay. Uh, In the case of of Aaron Hills, I, I think right on the hills of Chambers Bay, I think the USGA made a, you know, a very, um, uh, you know, concerted decision to um, to go to look at look at some new venues and uh, and uh, you know bring in different parts of the of the nation and they really wanted to go back to the Midwest I know and they really liked what Aaron Hills offered and and uh, so I think that you know the current group of uh, people involved at the USGA are open-minded to um, looking at things outside the rotation. Uh, And, um, you know, I compliment them for it. I I think, you know, PGA may have, you know, uh, when they went to um, Whistling Straits, uh, I think they opened up some some doors there too. So um, I'm hopeful from an architect's point of view that they continue to to survey, um, you know, courses, new courses as they come online as being, you know, potential um, venues. I think they, one of the things I know the USGA likes to do is they like to test it, test the courses uh, with the, with another major championship, like a US amateur. Uh, You know, that's always a good proving ground for a course and, and, uh, and how championship worthy it is.
1: You touched on a couple things that I think are incredibly important, not only for championship golf, but just in golf going forward. And that's producing a golf course or having a golf course that uh, doesn't need a lot of watering and a lot of inputs and a lot of fertilizer. You can get it. It can play a little drier and it can play faster, which makes for a more interesting surface, which which Chambers Bay did. And yet, as far as I know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there doesn't seem to be uh, any rush to get back to Chambers or Aaron uh, and just to talk about those two particular. I mean, so that's my, that goes to the heart of my question is, you know, what would it take for one of these courses to be on, you know, become accepted on the level of a Pebble Beach or something like a Winged Foot or just a, a place that we just accept as a, a great U.S. Open or PGA or Championship American course?
0: Well, I think there's tradition has a lot to do with it. I think, uh, you know, the uh, tradition of hosting hosting tournaments and, uh, and yielding uh, great champions, um, you know, if you look at it I was I was struck yesterday by that 1972 was the first time they ever had a US Open at Pebble. Yeah. When Jack when Jack when Jack first won and I was taken back by that. So um I think that I think that you know what it, in the case I really can't answer on any other course than than Chambers Bay. In the case of Chambers Bay, I know the USGA is is very interested in in uh, in watching the golf course mature. They're you know they're twenty 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 one. We're gonna have the four ball championship. Um, uh, we've been working closely with the USGA and the folks at Chambers Bay to um, to uh, you know work with them on on the resurfacing of the greens, um, which I think is a a, a very positive step towards uh, towards bringing USGA championships uh, to Chambers Bay and then the other thing we've been working closely um, closely with um, the folks at Chambers Bay um, is kind of improving the outside the ropes experience and and developing a kind of a long-term game plan of how we can go about uh, getting uh, people more actively involved and closer to the play than they were in 2015 so I think all those things are on the radar screen um, um, I know that Um, The question was asked to John Bodenhammer of the USGA earlier in the week, again, about what about Chambers Bay? Is the USGA considering going back to Chambers Bay? And Mr. Bodenhammer's answer was um, it's definitely on our radar screen. Mm.
1: Well, that's Um, great to hear. The the new POA annual greens that uh, you've completed work on earlier this spring will help settle a lot of the lingering questions from the 2015 opens that are probably a lot of – are on a lot of people's minds, that impression of those greens being so bumpy and some of the player feedback uh, that's off the table now.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. And, and, you know, I, I was, I was, <laughs> I was uh, taken back again. One of the comments that, um, that came across was when Louis Oosthuizen was playing yesterday. I had forgot that that guy went out and shot 29 on the back nine yes. at chambers Bay on, on Sunday. And obviously, you know, the ball must have been going in the hole for some people. They're all playing the same course. So, so, and the thing about Chambers Bay that I was really, really proud of um, was just the drama and, you know, the the cream of the crop were at the top on the last day and it was an exciting open. And, uh, and um, you know, I think the players that, that kind of embraced this, the, the type of golf course it was and and didn't you know? Didn't chirp too much and didn't complain. Just kind of took the the uh, conditions for what they were and played on them. Um, scored well.
1: There's a debate amongst people who you know love golf, love architecture, think about the USGA, think about setups, a- and the I think the majority of camp, and even the USGA probably falls into this, is that to challenge the professional game, you have to have a long rough and you have to narrow the fairways. And well, we've seen that played with over the years, moving the cuts in and out, first cut, second cut. Um, but we're almost at this point now, I think, where there's so much of the golfing population that wants to see long rough because they think it's the only way that can hinder the professionals from from just overpowering a golf course. And yet Chambers Bay has almost no rough. I mean, you have to be way offline to get into the tall fescue. Um, and it's to me, it I would love to see more of that approach to a setup to try to challenge elite players rather than just the traditional, you know, bowling alley fairway setups that we saw this week in, in, in other US Open venues, just firm and fast, lots of contour. see balls run out and, and make the pros have to think about not just accuracy, uh, you know, hitting it straight, but how far is the rollout going to be? If it hits this, it's going to roll left or right, and where's it going to finish? You see that on Lynx courses all the time, and that's what makes the Open Championship when it's hard and windy so interesting and such a breath of fresh air. Chambers Bay provides that, and I'm just surprised that the USGA doesn't, want, doesn't seem to always want to explore making the services in the fairway wider and faster and more contoured than you know just growing up high rough.
0: Well, you know, I think that they're I think that you know, in working with the USJ's particularly, you know, Mike Mike Davis, uh, you know, I think that 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 mindset is, is is they're very open-minded to that. I think at at Chambers Bay they were they were quite um interested in in our design philosophy in terms of the width and where we were trying to get players to hit their shots and and um so on a number of holes they they kept things very very wide. Um we gave the argument all the way through the process that, yeah, if you keep it wide, the ball runs out and, and, you know, then you're actually putting the player in worse harm. If you let the ball run out and have a terrible angle, (laughs) as opposed to putting up some rough and, and some fescue and things. And then, then the ball stops and then they don't have that lousy angle. And now they just got to get a club face on it, you know? So, so, but we had, we had very good discussions. I mean, um, I thought, you know, for example, I think a good a good example of the philosophies that they're moving away from the bowling alley thing was, was uh, number six at Pebble yesterday. Um, you know, they they've taken mowed that fairway wide all that the way cool. over to yeah. all the way over to the ocean, and I'm 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 thinking. When I saw that uh walk in the course earlier in the week I you know I just my I I was it was stunningly good. <laughs> yeah, and um, 10
1: and 4 was the same way. Yeah, that was yeah. really awesome to see them take that rough that cut all the way to the edge.
0: Yeah, it was. And and you know it, 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 and they, they didn't worry about how wide it was, you know. It was just they were just taking advantage of what God gave him uh, as as a wonderful hazard, <laughs> right. Pacific Ocean, not a bad hazard. Huh? No so, kidding. Yeah. So so um, no, I think that they're I think that they're they're definitely you know steering away from some of their their norms. I'm really excited to see them when they go back to Wingfoot, which I which is a great A W Tillinghast. I mean, it's it's uh it's awesome, and um. I know there's been some good work done there recently too. So it be interesting to see how they set that up. But there, you know, I've noticed at Pebble even they were, they were varying fairway widths and you know, it wasn't pure bowling alley golf. They were taking advantage of, uh, of some slopes and letting the players use some slopes a little bit more. I mean, I I just thought it was, uh, was, was really, really well done.
1: Well, Chambers Bay is just a fascinating property. And When I was there, I just, I absolutely fell in love with the golf course. It's so, it's just mesmerizing from the first tee shot on that first hole and you, you get taken into this landscape and it's just so unique and everything is just so detailed. There's the, you know, the detail level is just up to 11 on the whole golf course. Um, And we'll get into this, but you know, I'm sure you've talked about this, as I said a minute ago, you know, a hundred times, but tell me again, like what, what was you, what were you thinking the first time you saw this landscape? and you knew it was all sand.
0: Well, it was um it was breathtaking. I mean, the first time you you come to the, the site at Chambers Bay, of course it was it was sand piles everywhere. They had conveyor belts up, uh, you know, there was trees very small brushy trees growing on some of the some of the leftover sand. Uh so it looked like kind of a wasteland. Um kind of like uh you know, they because the mining company had had had, had departed uh, um, it was it was breathtaking yet um uh, what's the right word um it was it was it was it was also just like a mess <laughs> you know right. it, it, so so but but understanding the scale of it when you stand on the top of the rim of of, of what they call the the rim looking down into the into the quarry of, of chambers bay it was spectacular and the views and everything so so once we got down in the property and started walking it and felt you know all the sand and the different types of sand and and then got over to uh, you know the part of the property next to puget sound uh, um, it just got better and better and better you know our your imagination starts really going to town and and the best thing that Pierce County, our client, did was you know they kept the mining permit, uh, so uh, you know they had the they had the rights uh, and the permit to you know we could dig you know seventy feet down if we wanted to, we could fill a hundred feet high if we wanted to because it was all part of the mining permit. Yeah. So that that really gave us an open canvas, and and the Pierce County folks basically said, okay, the original the original task was to lay out twenty seven holes. Yeah. And we did that as part of our interview, but then we said, you know, but if you really want to do something special and really bring the golf world to a place like this, then we think you should do just re 18 really, really good holes and leave yourself spaced for maneuvering and, and, uh, you know, maintaining that kind of doonesy look. Um, so, they, they listened to us, and, and they agreed that that, uh, that would work, and we showed them how it would work. And so Chambers Bay was born out of a bunch of crazy ideas.
1: <laughs> right. So you knew you had a great opportunity, and you knew you could had sand, and, and you had the ability to basically create almost anything you could imagine within the budget. Now, the, there's the budget constraints, and I know that the number on that went up as you went along, but – Take me into the behind the scenes, and what's the process like at RTJ Two between you and Bob? And I know Jay Blasi was really influential on this project too. When you're first conceiving of what this golf course might be, how how challenging is that for you to come up with a concept? How exciting is it? Like, how does that process work when you're sort of just envisioning all the possibilities that are in play?
0: Well, I think uh, the, the first thing we did, obviously, was we walked the site and uh, took a lot of photos, and uh, Pierce County gave us great mapping. We had good aerial photos. And so one of the things we did is we we, is we studied the slopes, um, did slope analysis of what was out there, even understanding that we could move everything. But we were then looking for areas that potentially would pocket water and make sure that, you know, if you were doing a Lynx link, landscape, you kind of want to make sure water's moving. And so we made sure that we, we took advantage of some of the places where the, the mining operation had left things kind of in a flat area. And we complemented those with a lot of big landforms in and around and moving through these spaces. So, you know we probably did oh man probably 15 different routings at least um you know some of them had clubhouses down by the water uh some of them had clubhouse you know not near the water at all and, and up on top uh you know so it was uh it was a long um but fairly concise pro- process with Pierce County so we would we would do concepts we go up and show them to Pierce County they would they would say okay we like the land use here we like the land use here we'd like to leave some land up north for a park um, you know they they really didn't like the idea of taking the public all the way down next to the water um with a lot of roads and parking and things like that and which was music to our ears because we actually liked the clubhouse being as far away from the water as possible to get these grand views, which then allowed us to put golf holes close to the water and not have to worry about parking and roads and all that stuff. So it became much more of a core golf experience. But that was that was what one of the things we really stressed is that we want this to be a big, strong landscape, core golf, you know, uh, Make sure that when we put the trail through the golf that we added adequate space uh, so that that trail experience, which I'm a runner. I've done that trail now. Right. You know. yeah. Just
1: So just to be clear, there is a running path that cuts right through the western yeah. side of the golf course. You, you'll be playing golf out there and you'll see moms walking their babies in strollers and people jogging by.
0: Yeah. In fact, I always tell people, uh, you know, the best things about Chambers Bay, if you're having a really bad day, just watch everybody walking on, and walking and running on the path. And you never (laughs) know, you might have some good sights. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But, but but, uh, um, no, definitely. And, you know, it's a community park. Number one, that was, you know, was made very clear to us by the folks at Pierce County. This is a community park. This is going to have additional land uses. The golf course will be kind of the hallmark land use, but we need to make sure we understand the other land uses. And, um, and that was part of the real fun of the project. So we routing the, uh, the trail through the golf course, um, was great. That actually helped with the USGA loved that in the fact that that became kind of their major thoroughfare, uh, for people and movement mm-hmm. of people. And then, you know, you spur away from that. But, um, yeah, w- uh, to make your long story short, we we would we would uh, conceptualize uh, in the office. We would bounce them off all of us, uh, and uh, and then go up to Pierce County and show them ideas and get their feedback and refine. and And we ended up with the, the routing that that's of course the course is now. And uh, we one of the main things that that was important to all of us on our team was that especially if this was going to be considered for a championship venue, is that we wanted both nine holes to experience the height elevation and difference in elevation from Puget Sound to the top of the golf course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, we kind of run around on the front nine down low, and then we climb, start climbing the hill on seven and eight and then nine, you know big downhill shot down into number 9 green and um and then we do the same thing on the back you know we start probably on 12 which is the old the old hall road and yeah. start climbing up the hill on 12 13 then you get to 14 and you know you're at the top of the hill and so that 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 made for a good test of walking for everybody including the caddies no doubt uh, during the open
1: yeah so that was a key right to get the clubhouse up on the up on the high side, up on that bluff overlooking the course instead of down, and also the fact that there was a decision made to make it a walking only course. I'm, I'm sure that freed you up in the routing and that just oh, yeah. kind of opened every door for you.
0: Yeah, it did. It did. Uh, what it did is it allowed us to do some detailing and shaping, um, and not having to worry about having carts run through. Yeah. Yes. It was. That was. Uh, very observant comment you just made. <laughs>
1: One of the, uh, so there's so much to look at when you're playing the golf course. I mean, that's what makes it s- such a special place. You have obviously Puget Sound, which gets a lot of attention. But even with within the course, you have so much contour, these dunes, uh, the different grassy textures. And then on the uh, east side, you have this, this almost a sheer embankment that runs the entire length of the golf course. It looks like it's like a wall. And I mean, I know that was left over from the mining process because they, the 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 process to get sand and gravel out of this site was just to keep going down and down until they got everything out that they needed. But did you do anything to that to that sheer face, or did you just like leave that alone?
0: No, no, no. We we uh, we um, um, our, our shaper, the guy that shaped most of the project, guy by the name of Ed Tano and T A A N O. Okay. Uh, um, a wonderful guy, a very creative guy um he he reworked that slope um along the entire east side, with the exception of right behind seven green, which was where there were some existing uh vegetation up high on up on um, up near the pathway mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, we did not want to uh, to disturb that, but the rest of that slope he worked, and um we we took we took the angle of repose of the sand so to speak and and kind of worked on it to make it feel like it wasn't a uh, you know, an engineered wall and gave it gave it some contour. So yeah, we worked we worked that slope a lot. It's such um, an interesting
1: feature. I I can't think of a parallel on any other golf course that I've seen. It it, it feel it it adds you know, the whole property slopes from the east to the west from that side, you know, down to the water, you mentioned, you know, you get up at, at four green, five T seven green, and then, you know, 14 T 13 green, you're up on that high side, right on, at the base of this wall. I got to, the, the caddies in my group were like, okay, you got to go over here and take a photograph. You get a great view. And after about the fifth time they said that I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, we're up high. We have these views across the whole property. It's, it's beautiful. I get it. But that, That being up against that wall, it frames in your experience in a way that is just utterly unique. And then even on the north side, there are really big mounds and moguls and dunes as well. So, you know, the the property tapers off toward the south. But you have these these, uh, landmarks that kind of box in the experience. It kind of gives it what's a pretty big sight, almost a sense of intimacy. And then you can go on a lesser... More closed-in sense of intimacy when you get into some of the hole corridors and and some of the green contours. So there's there's this beautiful kind of expansion and retraction of vistas and golf experiences within this one site. It's it's very it's very moving when you play it. You experience so much of the landform and getting back to the routing. You also the routing turns you constantly. Was that a, that must have been another something you were striving for is to to continually turn your your aspect what you see in a different direction with each hole
0: we yeah, no question um because we we were aware that you know that that the winds could be a big factor uh so we wanted to make sure that we didn't have more than two holes in a row playing in the same direction um One of the, one of the other things that we did is obviously you have Puget Sound, right. And Puget Sound, when you, when you get up high, and even when you first come to the site, you look down into the site, you know, Puget Sound is, is what a great frame, what a great, (laughs) you know, thing to have to, to frame your golf course. So, so, um, when we first started with the land, um, there was a bluff along Puget Sound and, um, so one of the main things we did with our routing is that we tried to, um, on the holes that we paralleled um, Puget Sound, we dug those down 40 feet. So we, we we took them down at least 40 feet so that those holes were down low. And then all the other holes that we played either parallel or perpendicular, we tried to bring a lot of holes in perpendicular to the holes uh, adjacent to Puget Sound, so that you could on those holes, you could feel like you were reaching out and touching Puget Sound, even though you were a hole away, uh, which is a little bit of a you know landscape trick, right? right like but,
1: there's sort of these infinity greens that sit
0: up higher, right? Right, exactly, and they sit up higher, and you're you're, you're you know you're hitting a shot. Looking into Puget Sound, but you're you're you know you're a whole a whole away. That was big in terms of the routing. And when there there again goes back to the fact that we could do whatever the heck we wanted to <laughs> with earth moving, right. um, and we could craft everything. And you know we are just moving around sand, and we were like kids in a sandbox, literally. <laughs> I mean, we were we were able to dig with our Tonka toys and uh-huh. go in there and and, uh, and really kind of play with things. So how much
1: of the how much of the shaping and the detailing did you work out in the field? Does your firm on this project at least, or in general work like that, or did you try to map everything out on the computer or on, on paper? So you, when you got there, you could tell your shaper exactly what forms you wanted to build.
0: Well, it definitely, it evolves so much in the field, but we were, you know, uh, being for being, you know, a project for a public body. uh, We produced a very accurate set of working drawings and a very accurate grading plan. Um, we always consider that grading plan to be, you know, kind of the the base of a sculpting, you know, putting the clay on the on the sculptor's wheel and, and letting the shapers kind of sculpt it from there. But uh, elevation, you know, differentials, um, the way that we wanted the landforms to work, all of that was done on the grading plan, and then, yeah, we just we just worked every hole with our shapers and talked about uh you know concepts fairway grading fairway contouring slope kicker slopes around greens all of that stuff evolves and 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 you know you change the strength of those contours as you see them in the field so um with the site like we had with the freedom that we had with the fact that it was all sand um that gave us tremendous flexibility to really um, adjust and, and enhance things in the field. Yeah. Every hole, every hole was enhanced in the field for sure from what we drew.
1: The impression that you get when you play it. And I mentioned a minute ago, like my, my impression was you go from, from being in this arena that's very large and yet you have all these focal points all around you. And then there are holes where you get sort of in between things and you have Barriers that are close by, but it's just, it all strikes me as there's such a level of incredible imagination that has to go into this. It, it looks like every everything is just an, is well thought out. I mean, there's a, there's a, a point on the horizon for everything for for a, a golf shot. You know, there's there are dunes behind greens that taper off into another view uh, and the sand bunkering and fingers and licks that come up and kind of define other areas. It's just it, the, the composition of the golf course is so imaginative. And I don't know if this is a question so much as, as a compliment or just a wonderment at, at the ability for you and your, and your team and everybody involved in the project to, to pull this off because the, the, the detailing is so exquisite.
0: Well, uh, thanks. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, it's a huge team effort and, uh, you know uh bobby myself jay you know ed Tano, doug ingram all the guys and then the contractor out of uh out of houston texas uh you know um heritage links uh they did they did a wonderful job um and uh, you know it was really i mean everybody on the site knew you could feel it that that hey this was going to be something special and everybody got into it i mean it was uh it was, uh, you know, uh, really a labor of love. So we were getting ideas from everybody and, uh, you know, people would see things evolve and, and, uh, the, you know, people from Pierce County would come out and, and look at things. And, um, then we, you know, we got the USGA involved early, um, during construction they, they saw the golf course and, uh, you know, they were, they were instrumental in, in, in giving us some thoughts and ideas, uh, specifically kind of, you know, um, make sure that that the that the player sees this and 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 has this shot. And some of the some of the comments were excellent, and we also got a, a handle for what some of some of the outside the ropes things were as we are building it. So uh, that was that was you know hugely Im- important to us. So yeah, I mean, the detailing, the uh, the creativity uh, that just kind of came from many, many people throwing out ideas and having fun with the project. And, you know, it was up for, up to Bob and myself and Jay to, you know, kind of put them all together, put them, in the, put them in the crystal ball and come up with something. Right,
1: right. Now, of course, all of this is beautiful to talk about and it's, it's beautiful to look at, but, you know, it doesn't amount to anything spectacular or great unless the golf course itself and the way you play it isn't also excellent. And, you know, I, I thought another name for this golf course, if you could wanted to rename it, could be something like Cascades because everything has a flow to it. So many of the golf holes have a high side and a low side, and the balls drift and they drift on to greens. And you talked about kick slopes, and so it's a really wide golf course. But the the way you have to approach it and strategize your way around it, and pick your lines, and and read features, and play balls off features is is really also. Uh, a a huge element of the golf course. It's probably the defining element of the golf course, which makes the golf great. You know, you have like a hole like number four, obviously, is a very majestic hole. It's a big par five that goes up toward this high embankment we just talked about on the east side of the property. And there's a big sand cavern down to the right. And you can challenge that sand cavern, or you can play your ball way up left in the fairway, this huge fairway, but everything kind of drifts right. And then you're going to have to, at some point in your, in your the way you approach this hole, you're going to have to take on that sand almost because it kind of pushes you down there. So you can keep playing as far left as possible to kind of circumvent it and have longer shots in, or you can kind of a, go more at it and, and try to cut over the sand on your second or third shot. And that's just one example of how the land flows left to right. It's such well, an el- it. elemental part of, part of thinking your way around this golf course is reading oh, well, the slopes.
0: You- Derek, you, you you you've hit on something that very few people pick up on, but that was a huge element of our design philosophy. We wanted every hole to have a high side and a low side, mm-hmm. and we wanted the golf hole to flow with that high side, low side in mind and and to be able to work the ball, work your shots, utilize the high side to low side slopes to your advantage and um every hole we always thought about that we were we didn't want to come in and say so you have a big right to left slope and then right in the middle of that slope put something that's you know all of a sudden huge left to right no we want it to feel like it keeps flowing um there were there were a couple exceptions to that there were some some kind of moundy things in the middle of 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 hole number 11 that we kept, we kept and mm-hmm. there was just two little stockpiles out in, in hole number seven. That when we cleared cleared the the very small volunteer trees, there were these two stockpiles that looked <laughs> like you know hummocks in the middle of Scotland somewhere. Uh, so we left those. Yeah, and, but I, I wish but you hadn't. <laughs> but 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 uh, yeah yeah. Yeah, it, was, it makes the seventh hole a, 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 you know, a, a demanding um, but uh, highly interesting hole. Yes, no, for it. sure. It's actually one of my favorite holes out there, especially the tee shot. But um, I think that the, the big picture of the land flowing from a high to a low was huge in our design philosophy. We, we felt that if we, if we followed that philosophy on every hole, the golf course would feel natural. Even though we com- we 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 crafted almost everything, and um, it was a, it was a huge component of our thinking.
1: Yeah, just even you know approaching the golf holds like we you just and you the way you just spelled out with the high low sides. There's also you know of course the element of, of trying to get angles on holds like number two as well. Now the the green is is really attractively benched into this dune, so it has a, a high. Uh, dune behind it, but it's angled, you know, short right to long left. And it's one of those greens that it looks like it falls off into Puget Sound, even though there's a lot of land below it. And you can, you can, but it's, it's just set up so wonderfully. You can, I think you can hit your drive. Like you can either try to hit your drive down the right and get a straight in angle, especially if the pin is toward the back or if you're over to the left where that bunker cuts in you can try to hit a draw and there's a there's a uh, sort of a, a tear on the green and a kick slope that'll feed the ball back there so there's just so, there's so many different ways you can approach holes if you're you know controlling your your drive and your your ball fairly well and even if you're not even if you're kind of a high handicapper and you're just just trying to get it between the lines you still have different ways to get the ball up on or close to the green
0: Exactly. We wanted people to, you know, really be able to utilize their um, imagination, make sure the ground game was an important part of of how people could attack Chambers Bay. And um, it was um, it it was a lot of fun because uh, we, you know, we would we would make sure that everything about the ground and the entrances to greens and the slopes around the greens were were. Even if it was bunkering, even if it was mounding or dunes, we wanted to make sure that there was, you know, access ways, you know, creative ways that people could get themselves, abstract themselves out of trouble, and, uh, and 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 utilize some of these some of these slopes that that we purposely and you know implemented into, especially in the green complexes,
1: and that's so critical for. A pub, it's a public golf course. We we tend to forget that. Maybe for those of us who don't live in the area and and travel a great distance to get there and play it. But you know the people who live in that community get to play it for a, a low rate, and it could be their everyday golf course. So you want to be able to get those people around in an efficient fashion, and and sort of accommodate a nice pace of play and, a, and an enjoyable experience to your repeat customer. And that's what all that openness does.
0: Oh, definitely, and um, you know uh, when we first opened Chambers Bay, it was it was hard it was hard to lose a ball because the fescue areas were thin, and and uh, you know over time, obviously, things grow in more and more. But uh, uh, the idea was, uh, you know, let people go out and enjoy themselves, find their ball, hit it again, and you know, there's all kinds of hazards, all kinds of trouble to get into, but if you uh, played things smart, you could, you could maneuver your way around these things. Yeah.
1: The feedback that I, that I got when I was there and just talking to other people, one of the, one of the more, I guess, controversial holes or the, maybe the, just the flat out least liked holes there is, is the eighth hole. And it's a, it's a par five. It's, Just straight. It runs right along the base of this high wall that we've been talking about. And everything kicks hard from that slope down low. And if it kicks too far right, it really drops down. Um, I, for one, I kind of thought it was interesting. And I was just, I was kind of gratified that you did that. You took a long run. Uh, along the base of that wall instead of like running another hole up and down it again and making making the walker have to go up that hill one more time because you just walked up that slope on four and seven so your legs are burning a little bit at that point can you talk a little bit about that hole and if it caused any uh discussion or serious deliberation amongst the design team
0: oh yeah yeah we we talked about that a lot And, and um um one of the things that we really we really knew that we wanted to do was the ninth green site the ninth green site was a plateau that was kind of left at the mining operation and we always saw that as being a great green site um and we didn't have a problem with the ninth hole being a par three so we kind of worked our way backwards from nine green site and one of the things that we determined is that, okay, we've got people up on four, like you said, and got them back down on the floor and then back up on up towards the the, the wall, so to speak on seven. And we determined that maybe the best way to, to work our way and get to, uh, on the ninth green site was to just parallel the slope. And, um, we, you know, we determined, uh, you know, we talked about bunkering in the slope, uh, in the wall we talked about bunkering below uh but we decided to um you know just make a very very straightforward uh par five with all grass you know there's upper levels and lower levels and all kinds of things that can happen to your ball but just to you know really truly make us uh, very straight hole. you know and one of the most no difficult holes in golf or hit it straight and hit it straight again. Right, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, it's a little and, unnerving to have to do yeah, that. Yeah.
0: It is. And uh um uh you know it I think it the reason I think eight is probably less popular uh with the players is that it's just um it's just a straightforward test and you have this huge slope on the left huge elevation chains drop off on the right and it's probably the most confined believe it or not it's probably the most confined that you feel on the entire golf course Mm -hmm. and you're just up high and there's there (laughs) it's like scary (laughs) you know so um we think it's a great test of golf um um you know we we we've been proponents of it for a long long time um and uh uh, I think the fact that it is it's straight and straight again, and it it, it parallels that strong wall, uh, there's a discomfort level amongst players when they play it. So um, by design. Yeah, <laughs>
1: and in a in a golfing experience that has so much going on, it's a really it's an interesting reprieve. I mean, there's a lot going on in this hole for there not being any bunkers, and it's just like you said, it's a straight shot, but. It's, it's just a change of pace that is sort of almost alarming at the time. And, you know, and if you're the right kind of approach it with the right mentality, you can really appreciate that. Um, You mentioned, you mentioned that you you wanted to use that hole to connect you to the 9T to get down to the site that you found for the 9th green. That was kind of a plateau that was existing there. I was always under the impression when I heard about this project going back years and years and read about it and so forth, that everything in the, the golf course had been like just stripped down and rebuilt i mean it was a total site manipulation but you mentioned when that you had found there were certain green sites uh, that you found there's this one huge dune complex where to the right of one green 10 green is nestled in there and then six green kind of comes in from the other side and you said a lot of that was that piling was existing already so you sort of found that in some form and just utilize those pockets in that for greens. And that, that kind of reminded me of like this, I didn't know that one. And it's, it's sort of like what, it reminded me like this was stream song, which is also built on an old mining operation with sand and old tailings that became dunes. This was a stream song before a stream song in a, in a sense.
0: Well, um, you know, yeah, I think a lot of people, um, you know, think that everything was created, um, not necessarily the case. So yeah. You, you, you hit it big time. The, 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 um, uh, mining operation left some big, big piles of sand and, and gravel. And, uh, we put the first green right next to one of those big piles. Uh, the 10th green, uh, site was discovered when we were walking the site one of the first times and, uh, there was a very narrow little band of dirt that was in your way if you're playing it from now with the tee shot and we cut through that band of dirt and boom there was a, a you know a Bunyan esque uh, totally, green site. Totally. you know, yeah, it's so you know? Cool. Uh, and uh, and then yeah coming coming back towards 6 um that that green site was was discovered uh when we walked the site and started getting things cleared and there there was you know a, a the, basically the same sense of the same stand pile. And um, so we took advantage of those. The 14th green, uh, much like the first green, there was the, the big pile of the big doom between the 12th fairway and the 14th fairway makes a triangle, and that was left by the mining operation we just hunkered this 14th green down right not right next to it but down below it and then utilized that high to high right low left idea right. into the design into the design of the hole so um yeah there was there was some green site. Like nine nine was a plateau that was there and uh we 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 just it just it was just a nice plateau that we said well let's just work with that and uh so um yeah there's 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 a handful of places there where we just we just stuck with what we got. Now 12, the whole 12th hole was the was the uh was the road. Yeah, so <laughs>
1: as we as we were going to kind of wrap up our Chambers Bay discussion, I wanted to talk I couldn't get away without talking about 12. Now you mentioned it was a it was an access road kind of that weaved through these these piles uh, originally and then you just kind of just saw the contours of a of a sh- hole there. It's a short par 4, very short that goes Pretty severely uphill, and then the green is benched into this pocket of huge Irish-looking dunes. Um, it's such an amazing hole with, with so much strategic—you know—it demands so much strategic thought to approach it. I mean, there's a lot of decisions you have to make standing on that tee, especially if you've played it a few times and figuring out where the where the pin is and you know how to approach that short par four.
0: You know. <laughs> we, we were walking the site once again, that was how, that was how we always got from high to low. And, um, some of the best sand on the property was where the, uh, the fourth hole is and the 13th hole is. So, um, we understood that, okay, that's why they built that hall road mm-hmm. and the, and the dimensions of the hall road were almost perfect. And, you know, we had a philosophy going into this uh, that, you know, maybe par wasn't that important and, you know, holes could be, you know, different pars if you wanted to be based on where we where we placed, the you know, the the T markers on our ribbon T concept, you know, where the T is the fairway, the fairway is the T. They all blend together. So um, that hole 12 was designed to be a very, very short par 4 drivable or a very long par 3, either or. And, um, of course it seems to have more popularity as a drivable four and the green itself is, is enough of a defense for, you know, for either. (laughs) Um, so, uh, it was, it was just, um, uh, you know, let's just work with what we got uh type of philosophy. And, and, uh, um, you know, that's one of the very few areas on the golf course where you have a, more typical Pacific Northwest backdrop to a green where you've got some trees <laughs> and, and um, it was, it was just a, a cool departure um, from a big, huge wide open site. And then all of a sudden you get into this narrow little, you know, kind of, I don't know, kind of a little little slice into the dunes and that's, that's we kept it and just thought it was great.
1: Yeah, and the so the green is, is deep and narrow and it has really three distinct sections. There's sort of a bowl area in the front and a bowl area in back and maybe a little bit of a, an area like that in the middle as well. So depending on where the, the flag is put, you really have to think about where you want your second shot to be struck from. If you can get on the front of the green, then you have, and the pin's back, you have to I mean it's gonna break six different directions to get it all the way back there <laughs> how I can imagine like when you're building this you're you're thinking like well we're gonna we're gonna sucker people into you know into some really awkward positions because they're gonna expect to make three four at the worst but if they drive it up and they hit it in this left bunker or the pins in the back, and they have have to putt it, or they have all this awkward chip shot from a hanging lie on the right because they didn't quite get it all the way on the green. They're gonna they could make five from back there, you know. And it's so hard on a sh- short par four like that. It's like two sixty or something uphill from certain tees. It's so hard to get yourself to lay back with an iron and have a full wedge shot into that green because you want to take a shot at it. It's it's a, such a psychological moment in the round.
0: Yeah, it is. It is and it 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 entices people because it's close enough that um when you play the the sand tees or the te- the more forward tees that us normal hacks play, you know, um yeah, it it's even a distance that you go, "Hey, I can drive this thing." And um um you know, it's 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 in a receptive kind of cavern, you know, valley, swale, or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I mean, one of the one of the key things was that the, was we really wanted the green to be something sp- spectacular in terms of its defense and um well, i remember the very first kind of test that they had on the golf course was a kind of a mini skins game and michael putnam local guy uh aiden um, um badly badly bubba watson and uh gosh who was the fourth guy was it hunter Mahan? i don't know anyhow mm-hmm. uh they played it and all four guys took it on uh you know to drive the green uh th- three of them drove the green all three of them three putted <laughs> you know and um and i can remember thinking okay well the golf hole works that's good <laughs> yeah because it had its own defense um so uh just a just a you know once again, you know, uh, kind of a work with what you have and just be creative. Uh, was it was just just a you know just an easy. It was in many ways that was one of the more easy holes to design. It was there, you yeah. know. We just kind of worked with it. it, it
1: it's such a it, the one course that I mentioned, song a minute ago, and and they're really yes. they're very different places, but the common denominator would be sand, and you're working on an old mining operation. The the course that actually has. The most in common that I can think of with Chambers Bay would be Whistling Straits, another course that was not built on sand. Attempts to try to sort of look like an Irish course, completely built from scratch, and it's just it's really interesting to see two different variations on a similar idea. And I think what really separates Chambers Bay, other than it being on sand, and you can really get that that run out with the fescue, so the grasses are different. But you know the the property allowed you to. We, to turn constantly, go in loops and circle around, and always turn turn the the play to a different angle. Whereas Whistling Straits is, you know, it's two figure eights out out and back, you know, which gives you a lot of spectacular water views. But there's not a lot of variation as far as the experience of playing there. Um, so that's just a uh, it's an interesting concept or an interesting thing to think about about two different approaches to kind of a similar similar theme and i don't know if was if that ever occurred to you guys or if you're just locked into to this site and this property that that you have um but we did talk about routing and how it was important to you to to not have parallel holes or go in the same direction too often
0: well i i think that um uh, we did uh we did um draw inspiration from some new courses that were being built you know um Uh, Pacific dunes had just been built in Bandon. Um, we, we took the trek over there with everybody from Pierce County and, and understood how they crafted that, uh, um, and uh, talked to them about the procedures that they utilized. Um, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 had been to Whistling Straits and thought Whistling Straits was fantastic. And we took, uh, we took, um, the people from Pierce County there also to show them how that land that landscape was transformed so prior to construction they the, the the pierce county folks understood of of kind of the land reclamation land creativity you know the the formation of a landscape type in terms of a dunescape um they they became very very well versed in and, and could see what the heck we were talking about and then and of course, we crafted Chambers Bay in our own minds, but those courses did really help our client understand kind of where we we're going, you know, and that was extremely instructive.
1: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned abandoned you know, uh, Dunes and your course, and we've touched on the how important the contouring is and, and slope and kick slopes and, and all the, the action in the ground is how important that is to Chambers Bay. And it strikes me that this was really, you know, you began this in 2003 to 2005. This was really when modern golf was coming into whatever era we're in now, that's kind of kicked off by sand hills and Pacific dunes, this naturalist kind of approach to design. And one of the hallmark features of this era is what we're talking about, this ground contour. And a friend of, a friend of ours, Adrian Logue, from another podcast, the Ice Heat Golf Podcast, labeled it a micro complexity, and it's that's just all the detail in the ground, and it can be overdone as well. That's such a contrast to the types of golf that were was being built, you know, in the seventies and eighties, and even into the nineties. I think in the nineties, you start to get in a lot more land moving and land formation. Did did this golf course put your firm on a different? tracked or how do you read that phenomenon of all of these this microcontour coming into golf design over the last twenty years and, and how much of a departure or a evolution was it for for your firm?
0: Well I think Chambers Bay was 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 definitely a concerted effort on our team to um to to break out of the norm. Um, uh, we would often talk about um during construction you know, on on a, on a typical design, we might approach it this way, but you know what, let's think about, think about that. You know, we would, we would kind of go against the grain a lot. And uh, um, in terms of, of the utilization of micro contouring, or like you call call it, um, um, huge part of our thinking. Yeah. Once again, within the landscape or within the form of uh, a high side, low side idea. So Yes, we 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 definitely um, wanted to depart from our norm and do something that that was a breakout of what most RTJ two courses are like. Mm-hmm. And, and is this no, something no, that
1: you've felt like you've carried forward on most of your projects since then? At least when the site and the budget allows.
0: Yeah, especially the T concept. I think we've done the the T concept. You know, kind of the ribbons of T's. The fairway is the T. The T blends into the fairway. Uh, not necessarily flat everywhere. Um, we've utilized that started, you know, a number of places now. Um, uh, Argentina, we just opened a course last year in Argentina. We're, we're doing that. We're doing it right now in Vietnam, mm-hmm. uh, also in Singapore. You know, what, what people, once they understand the concept, it's basically, it's a variation of the RTJ Senior Runway T. Right. You know, it really is. It's just a meandering form that gives you the flexibility to, you know, vary the T markers, you know, sometimes over a hundred and fifty, sixty yards. It's like so a postmodern version of the yeah, modern yeah. version.
1: His was yeah. modern. yours is postmodern.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um um you know that the the free form uh shaping uh, of it and uh, you know I find that superintendents if we do it right superintendents love it because they, they just stay on the mower and keep mowing. They don't have to pick up the mower and then go down to the next pod and then mow that and then go down to the next pod and mow that. You know, they just, it's like, Oh wow. I just stay on the mower and just keep mowing this whole thing. Boom. Mm -hmm. We move in, we mow in, we mow out and we're done. Right. (laughs) So, so uh, it's got some benefits, that's for sure. So we've, we've incorporated a lot of that. Um, We, we, you know, we've got a brand new project in Vietnam's all sand. Uh, We're doing very, very similar um types of uh, creativity in in dunescapes and the use of the use of uh the ground game and things like that uh there so you know when you get sand uh, as a golf architect i always tell everybody that when you give a golf course uh, you give a golf course architect a sand site you know he starts salivating and gets all excited and starts running around like crazy so we all love those kind of sites yeah
1: I, I was looking at a book um, about the golf courses of Robert Trent Jones Jr., your your boss and partner now, I guess, and it, it was published, I think, in 1988. So a lot of the, the golf courses in the book were built prior to that, a lot in the 70s and, and early 80s. And what really strikes me looking at at these golf courses and then and then those that I've seen myself from that era is how how calm the architecture is, how calm the shaping is. I mean, everything sort of exists low and on plane you know there's not the bunkers rarely have a lot of depth and maybe as you get into the 80s you start to see a little more uh contrast and heights of how features are built and it's it just strikes me that that golf course i don't know if it's design or or at least construction has come all the way to the other side of that now 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 everything is has contrast everything has depth you know courses that get accolades are there's so much uh, green contour and and separation between heights and you have bowl chipping areas and and all these micro contours that we're talking about. Are are you aware in in the course of your professional career? Because you joined Bob's firm in 1981, I believe. That's right. I mean, are you aware of the progression or does it just happen so slowly that, that you know, you're just always on to the next thing and you haven't thought about how it's evolved from the past?
0: Oh, um, yeah, you're definitely aware. Um, um, and one of the interesting things is you really makes you aware of it is when you're asked to go back to one of your courses that you built, um, in the eighties and the nineties and, and do what we call a golf course audit and, and walk through and look at things that, that you see that could make the, enhance the golf experience, make the make the golf course more sustainable from a maintenance point of view and things like that. And you, you really realize how design your design philosophy has evolved and changed and and, and frankly worked with a, a a golf market in 2008 that you know like everything else just kind of you know the bottom fell out right. and um i think that's been a very very good thing for golf course architecture is that we all got had to get back to the basics and um you know not you know do you know 10 waterfalls on every course and you know some of the things that were going on were just kind of um you know kind of crazy uh i think we built golf courses in the 80s early 90s to be um to be photographed more than pet played uh we you know they were just bold everything was bold and big and you know um we find ourselves just being much more um, much more careful in terms of uh, of what we're building and the scale of what we're building and how do you get in and maintain it and I think it's 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 something I, I know that uh, you, know, you know I'm talking with my cohorts in the American Society of Golf Course Architects you know we all are are very much aware of is that uh, you know you just you, you just can't go overboard. <laughs> anymore, so you definitely feel that your, your 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 design, you know, your design philosophy grows as you grow as an architect and as the firm grew. Yes, um, we, we you know one of the things I think the big thing in our firm that's that 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 we've really touched on the most uh, is been the use of width. Uh, that width is a good thing um you you know even even if you've got the best players in the game you know give them width and and sometimes they scratch their heads and go well where are you telling me to hit it and i'm going well where do you want to hit it (laughs) you know (laughs) they're they're so used to bunker left bunker right or whatever you know you hit it between here and sometimes when they're not when they don't have visual clues of where to hit it then they got to think about it you know so um It that was part of another distinct philosophy that we used at Chambers Bay was you know with the width we were forcing people to make up their mind. Well, you know, know, there's the fairway. You want me to hit it someplace? Yeah, hit it where you think. (laughs) So the 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 firm's uh, design philosophy definitely you you you, you, yeah you could feel it changing. Yeah, you could feel it as it evolved, and uh, and uh, it's it's been a good thing all the way through. I think.
1: Do you feel like or your experience and your knowledge is when did the concept of of making golf courses difficult that being an ideal because I, I do think it was and I it became something that gave your course a, a stamp of being a hallmark important golf course you know you wanted to be, it to be challenging and that that kind of took over golf course design and construction for a while do you think that that came in in the sixties and seventies and or did it really get even more accelerated in the in the 80s and the
0: 90s i think it got accelerated um um uh i think uh, you know with the you know the the increase in technology and and uh golf ball going further different clubs being built uh some of the things that happened even earlier in as coming out of the 60s um um difficult was good difficult you know you know championship you had to have a championship golf course um what meant championship there never really was a definition but it was you know championship golf course was good enough to have a championship on it and and that meant that you had to have a certain amount of test and skill levels and things like that um uh, i i think that 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 was just kept all that momentum kept going through the 80s and 90s and i think uh, from a from a pure artistic perspective, I think everybody was moving way too much dirt. Uh, we were making mounds and sixteen foot deep bunkers, and you know, I mean, some of the PGA West stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was just it was we uh, you know, and you know, Pete Dye is a wonderful, wonderful golf architect and one of the best strategic architects around, and you know, uh, uh, you know, he wasn't bashful. uh uh, of creating some some features that looked a lot like some of the things you see in scotland right so you you know um i think that uh golf architecture went through a period like i said where they were more interested in being difficult and being photographed than uh, having people enjoy the game i think that's completely flipped 180 where now golf architecture is on a mode where you want it to fit the site, feel like it's just sitting there on the site without a lot of interruption by man, and uh, give people a lot of fun, and um, you know that's good.
1: Yeah. The, par- the paradox, though, is is if you look at when golf has grown the most rapidly and been the strongest, it's in the 1960s and in the 80s. We have another big spike, and then there was a projected spike that kind of went up through the mid 90s, and then it kind of tailed off, and when you get into this era now that we're talking about, when we're we're creating width and trying to uh, you know help the golfer through the round and give them more excitement without punishing them, this is when golf rounds and golf participation has decreased. I I, I can never quite reconcile. I mean, I know there it's not a response to the architecture because, it, you know, people should be uh, driven away from golf by losing golf balls and being frustrated. But it is there's a, a huge paradox there that golf has grown when architecture has been less accommodating to their successful play?
0: Well, I think it has. I, 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 um...
1: And it has more to do with you know, the greater economy. But, as, but I think what I'm getting at is as interesting as the golf courses have been so many the last 20 years, including courses like Chambers Bay, it, it isn't helping drive rounds. You know, it's not attracting in people to the game the way you think it might.
0: Well, yeah, I think that, that that that's also a function of just where we are socially throughout the entire world. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, golf uh, needs to work on, you know, the amount of time it takes to play, speed of play things. I think is that's another thing that's becoming really important in golf architecture is is keeping things uh, to the point where people can get around a uh, golf course you know, as efficiently as, in time as possible. So I I, I think, that um you know I, I think golf's not going anywhere i think golf's a great game and it's going to always have its uh have its attraction amongst um amongst people um you know it's a tough question to answer i yeah i, I, yeah, no, I don't know tough. that there is
1: an answer you know I don't think, all you yeah, can yeah, do is yeah. try to create smaller smaller golf moments i think smaller more affordable faster golf opportunities for people to get out and play quickly and and just have it be one part of their day not their entire day Um, but we we don't have a lot of opportunities uh, available to golfers like like that right now hopefully that's the next I talk about this on this podcast a lot hopefully that's the next phase in, in golf design is finding ways to to create smaller more intimate more efficient golf experiences and we don't have to you know invest so much of our time and our day and our money into playing a round of golf
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a very unique sport. Um, it's, it's a unique business. Um, and sometimes the, the sport and the business don't match. (laughs) Yeah. But I think what, what happens is, um, you know, a lot of people see golf as what they see on TV and what, what you see on TV is, is, uh, you know, kind of the upper crest of golf. Uh, in terms of the courses and the maintenance and things like that, you know, the day-to-day golf courses are are the ones that are, you know, just people are having fun. The, the conditions are whatever that we can get them to be uh, with the budgets that are allowed. And um, there's a grassroots to golf that I don't know if many other sports have. Tennis, for example, doesn't, I and mean, I don't, I don't think, um, you know, skiing. I mean there's just a lot of golfers that just love the game and they'll go play anywhere for 20 bucks, you know? Right. So, so it's just, it's just a different dichotomy. I think so.
1: Uh, As we finish up here, I just wanted to say like one of the things I've always appreciated about your firm and and really specifically about um, Bob Jones is the artistic proclivity and the artistic inclination and how he's always, as the leader of your firm, and I, I think everybody who's worked there embodies this as well. It, it, always trying to look, uh, equate golf to other things. You know, he's a big he's a big fan of art and poetry and music, and he kind of sees all these things holistically wrapped up in in golf. Are are you like that at all? Do you have that kind of artistic sensibility when you approach design, or uh, do you come at it from a different place?
0: Oh well, no, I, I think that uh, yeah, you definitely got to think about uh, your your craft as an art. Um, I'm probably less of a po- poetry guy than, than Bobby. Uh, I, I do see, I do see rhythms in a golf course, a lot like some music, um, that the, you know, music, good music, in my opinion, has highs and lows in the song and, and, you know, really gets you going and in other places it kind of mills you out a little bit. And I, I think that a golf course should be the same. Um, I definitely think uh, golf course design is an art from an aesthetic point of view, Uh, utilizing the tools of what Mother Nature gives you, uh, and making golf holes uh, take advantage of that, you know, give a golf course a sense of place by the frame that Mother Nature gives you is a huge part of what we do, I think. Um, Yeah, I I mean, we we all come, everybody, every golf architect you talk to will come at it from a slightly different perspective but i think one of the things that uh, i think uh, uh, bobby and i have learned a lot from working with each other and and our our teams throughout the years is that um when it comes right down to it all of those factors you know are huge in in what we envision but it's how the golf ball gets in the hole is the really most important thing that we do and think completely think about shots what happens when the golf ball hits the ground the shot values the carry distances the angles all that stuff that's where golf architecture really gets into the fun the nitty-gritty so to speak Uh, um, some of the other stuff is 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 more a byproduct uh, from what we believe is really good strategy and we we definitely are a strategic oriented firm We, we we like to give people ways to hit around trouble and, and not be, you know, a penal, uh, golf architecture firm. We want to, we want to be more strategic. Yeah.
1: I'm not sure how you could convey, um, a sense of music or a piece of music or, uh, a, a, a spiritual philosophy in a, in a golf course. If you didn't tell the golfer that, that that's what you were trying to do. You know, if you just turn them loose on a golf course, no matter what your, uh, artistic input was, there's, they're, they're going to be looking for, for, their golf ball in the fairway and try to figure out how to get on the green and probably miss all of the uh, other esoteric approaches that might be applied. Well, um, I don't know if this could, uh, fair to ask you this, but you know, you work for for Bobby. His father was one of the most legendary golf course designers, dominant figure from the '40s through you know the early '90s and i 'm not sure how familiar you are with with rtj 's work personally, but I talk about him all the time on on this podcast because I feel like whether you appreciate his style of architecture, his work or not he 's an important figure worthy of study that and i don 't I kind of think we 're in a period where he 's not appreciated and almost dismissed uh, by a lot of the architectural uh, aficionado types. But I don't think that's fair because I don't know that we really have a good grasp of of his true designs and, and everything, you know, has changed so much and evolved and his one, you know, Reese Jones has reworked so much of his, his, you know, the top of his, his top championship courses, his famous courses have been like redone so much. If you could pick one Robert Trent Jones course that you would like to see restored perfectly back to the way it was. When it was first built to his original vision, can you name one that you'd like to see? Is a good candidate for that.
0: Well, that's a very, very good question. Um, I think Robert Trent Jones Sr. You know really made golf into a golf course architecture into a profession in the modern era, um, and uh, you know he he was spectacular in terms of his defense uh, that that you know that the golf course architect is the defender of the, of the sport and, and kind of the goalie of the net, so to speak. Um, um, one course of his, that I uh, oh man, um, that's a very, very good question. I'd have to think about that, but, uh, um, you know, there's, I think Firestone, you know, uh, is, is, is some of this, I, I'd like to see that less tweaked around and, and be more in the RTJ senior style. I think, Spyglasses had some things done to it that mm. not bad, not bad, but pretty good. I'd like to kind of see that maybe restored a little bit more to his original things. Um, those are the two that stick out, probably.
1: It's amazing to see Firestone pictures of when, right after he. Uh, renovated it because it was an existing golf course and he couldn't change the routing. He right, kept the exactly. original routing that was already there, but it's almost treeless. There's very few trees on the golf course and now there's such a defining cloistering factor. Uh, and it just, it, it accentuates the the parallelity of those golf holes. Whereas it was a much more open experience when he first got done with it.
0: Oh yes, it really was. And, um, it's, it's grown out through the years and, uh, but, you know, his, his, his strategy, his, his intent to, you know, to, to test the tough, you know, the toughest players, the best players in the game, um, you know, he, he was good at that. And, uh, and uh, you know, he was the original open doctor, right? So, um, um, you know, he, he had a sense of uh, how to extract uh, difficulty and, and make a championship course really a good, strong test. And a lot of it was just very simple, straightforward, good golf course architecture, and nothing super fancy. Which is why I think some people uh, in the modern modern era don't respect it as much. Um, uh, you know, they they have a tendency to overthink it in some right. cases. But it's yeah. but, uh, a good point. So idea.
1: Okay, so I ask this this is the last question. I ask this to every guest I have on, or almost every guest, and it's it's sort of a way to to pay homage to your peers if you if you choose to. Uh, what is your favorite modern golf course that you were not or or Bobby was not involved in building?
0: Uh, very good. Um, very very good question. Um. Favorite modern golf course that of mine, I would say that we weren't involved in. I gotta, go, I gotta go up to um, to Nebraska and 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 uh, and give Ben, Ben and Bill, Bill and Ben, um, a lot of credit uh, for. Um, uh, there's so many sands now. What's that? What's that? What's sand that hills. Sand hills. The original sand did. hills. Yeah. Yeah. Sand hills. me, Chris. How could I forget that? But that's just, that was really, that really creative, um, good stuff. Um, guy, those two guys I respect a lot. They're, once again, you talk about shot values, huh? Those guys. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, really good. With, really good. Yeah.
1: Creating yeah. Oppor- yeah, different ground opportunities and entryways.
0: Yeah. So that that's probably where I would go.
1: Do you, um, so do you remember, like, the first time you saw Sand Hills or, or heard of it or saw pictures or even visited, would, did that strike you as, like, okay, this changes things. This is going to be different now. This is something that we haven't seen in architecture for a long, long time.
0: Or was it not um, that profound? No, it was profound. What was profound about it to me was, like, how lucky these guys were to get a site like this. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, as, so now what's happened is everybody's looking for these kind of places right um and uh, and you're creating these kind of places um the the idea of ruggedness and being less kept and um you know everything doesn't have to be perfect was was what i came away with uh from a from a design point of view you know just bunkers just kind of cut out you know i mean just kind of dig holes and call it a bunker (laughs) you know yeah that was good i mean it was it was that was profound for me was that you know but once again it all relates to wow how great of a site you know i mean all sand man this is this you know what what a what a treat to work on something like this you know so um that that that's what it came came to to my mind
1: the funny thing is when when you talked to Bill about it he said it was not fun. It was a terrible experience not a terrible experience but he said you know people ask me it must have been so fun to build sand hills and he's like it was not. It's brutal conditions, brutal elements and the pressure to to produce on that site. It was very stressful.
0: So but well, at least we did enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. boy when you play the golf course it doesn't feel that way. It feels like they had they just were having a blast. Yeah. Yeah, maybe
1: if they I'm sure now they have a lot more fun, but at that point in their careers, they probably thought, this is our shot. If we screw this up, then we're back to the minor
0: leagues. (laughs) Could be, could be, could be.
1: Bruce, thanks so much. It was great talking to you. I love talking about Chambers Bay with you, and even more than that, I loved playing it. It's a a fantastic place and and great job there, and I, I really enjoyed the discussion.
0: All right, great. I'm glad I could help, Derek.
1: Okay, that was Bruce Charlton. One thing we kind of glossed over at the beginning of the conversation were uh, the new greens at Chambers Bay. One of the criticisms of the 20, at the twenty fifteen U.S. Open was uh, from the many of the players, not all, but many of the players who grumbled about the inconsistency of the greens and how putts would wobble. Those the original fescue greens had got burned out that spring prior to the open, and uh, they they just didn't have control of the greens. Now they are have all been resurfaced with Poa Nua, which is the same putting surface that Pebble beach has. We just saw this weekend. And, and, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful putting surface. And unless something happens between, you know, now or going into the future, the USGA can go back and hold an open or another major event there without any hesitation. The greens are, are gorgeous and any concern about quality of putting surfaces should be taken off the table. When I was playing there, uh, me and uh, a friend of mine in, in our foursome, uh, we're just talking about well, what is the major criticism of Chambers Bay? Why isn't this course ranked higher? I think Golf Week has it ranked fifty, maybe on the uh, modern golf course list, which seems about you know twenty five, thirty places too high, in my opinion. And we were just we are wondering about what is the criticism? Why you know isn't this golf course viewed in the same light as? Some of the other new golf courses, the, the, the stream songs, the sand valleys, the mammoth dunes, those type of golf courses that have, have burst onto the modern list at such a high level. I think one of the things that we maybe could come up with was I could see the, a criticism of the golf course being sort of over-manufactured and overly busy. Uh, I mentioned uh, our friend Adrian Logue from the ice Golf podcast uh, mentioning uh, on the, their podcast how he thought maybe Tara Edie, in New Zealand. Tom Doak's latest course there seemed a little too uh, overproduced, overworked. Every little detail it showed a level of intricacy that was can be a little off-putting. Um, maybe Chambers Bay has a spot of that, I guess, if you're sensitive to that. But my impression and my feeling going around the golf course was uh, that I was transported to another place. And, and when you get into some of these green sites that are tucked between these dunes, it really does feel like Ireland. And The requirements to make shots, the ability to to bank balls off slopes, to run balls into greens, to have to really think about your pitch and chip shots, to have all the width that the course offers, have beautiful green putting surfaces, amazing backdrops. I just don't know what more the golf course could do uh, to to please the customer. Uh, It's one of the top modern golf courses in my mind. And and that's why we just spent uh, about an hour talking to Bruce Charlton about it. Here's where I I plead with you and remind you to give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at FeedTheBall. Always check in at FeedTheBall.com. Look for uh, past podcast episodes that you may have missed there. Next time you're on iTunes, head over to the uh, search bar, type in FeedTheBall, go to podcasts, and please give the show a rating and a review. Keep up to speed on the Best of Golf podcasts at TalkingGolf.com. That's where the state of the game, the IC Golf podcast, and Talking Golf history, as well as Feed the Ball, all reside. Thanks to Bruce Charlton for joining me on the podcast. That was fun. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thanks to you, as always, for listening and the support. Thanks to the Sundogs for the tunage. I will have another show up in about two weeks. And until then, and we get a chance to do this again, adios.